Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You remember earlier this summer when the clinic uh, down in Calgary, Martaloop, announced that they were going to bring in a membership system, right? And uh, it was a certain amount per family. I can't remember exactly what the dollar figure was, but basically what it was was it fast tracks. You put you in front of the line. You, you don't have to wait quite as long to get in to see a doctor, all these sorts of things, right? Province found out about it and said, no, we're going to shut her down. That That's not that's not something that's happening. You cannot pay for um, publicly insured medical procedures in this country, nor can you pay to get fast-tracked. We don't do that. Of course, it came to light that there are a bunch of other clinics in Alberta where you can do exactly that and have been able to do that for some time. And it's not just Alberta. This isn't, this isn't just an Alberta situation. This is a national situation. You talk to anybody about this and they'll tell you about the clinic in Vancouver where you can go in and get surgery done and you don't have to go through the waiting time. Quebec? Good Lord, in Quebec, there's a bunch of them operating. I mean, every time we talk about this, we have callers. Last week, we had a caller talking about spending thousands of dollars of his own money to have his hip replaced or his knee replaced. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and, you know, this happens. It's happening with, you know, alarming regularity across the country. But hang on, is it... If, if you know the argument, right? Well, that takes somebody out of the the waiting list because the waiting lists are so long. Does it? I mean, what's the upside? What's the downside? What are we going to do uh, about this situation? Because it just seems to be getting worse. And ultimately, I think it contradicts the Canada Health Act. But let's find out for sure. We're going to speak now with Dr. Melanie Bouchard, who is chair of Canadian Doctors for Medicare. Doctor, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time today. Good morning, Shay. Thank you for having me. So let's just start. Help me to understand how we have the Canada Health Act that says you cannot pay for medically insured or for uh, publicly insured medical procedures. Yet we all know this is happening in places all over the country. So are these all in contradiction of the Canada Health Act? Good question. It depends, I think, is the honest but complex answer. The Canada Health Act does restrict extra billing and user fees basically meaning that physicians cannot charge patients for services that are covered under provincial territorial health plans. However, there are a lot of loopholes. In some provinces like British Columbia, physicians actually are able to charge patients whatever the market will bear as long as they opt out of also seeing patients in the public system. So it's either or. This is what we call a restriction on dual practice. Similarly, in Quebec, there was a court case in that province called Chayouli back in 2005 that determined that in certain circumstances and for specific procedures, hip and knee surgeries being some of those specific procedures, patients would be able to pay in a parallel private system if they could not get access in a timely manner in the public system. So we have the Canada Health Act, but there's a lot of ways around it. The other issue, too, is that the Canada Health Act is not always very strictly enforced. Sometimes right. these clinics are able to find loopholes and they're not really reported and there's no action taken in time. You mentioned something about the reasonable wait time. And I was wondering about this. Like, is there an argument to be made here where if somebody has $25,000 to pay for a hip or a knee replacement, is it 
morally justifiable to say, okay, you have the money. We have ways that it could be done. You're not allowed to pay for your own health care. It's like you say, you know, when, when the waiting list gets, I mean, where does that fall in terms of what what the law says and what your organization says should be allowed and shouldn't be allowed? So here's the tricky thing. We only have so many doctors and nurses yeah. in operating rooms within Canada. So although it might seem harmless, if I'm able to jump the queue because I have the money to pay for it, It's a zero-sum game, and it means that somebody with less money will now have to wait longer. So in countries like Australia and Germany that have opened up these parallel private systems, we saw that the wait times were shorter for those who could pay for it in the private system, but the wait times actually didn't change or were longer overall. So having a parallel private pathway doesn't shorten your wait list. It rearranges it to put those with more money on top. Okay, because that's the argument, right? Hey, listen, if somebody wants to go and pay twenty five grand to have their knee replaced, they're no longer part of the wait list. We don't have to worry about that. It's better for everybody. You're saying it doesn't work out that way because doctors go with the patients, right? Exactly. We only have so many doctors. So if they're going to be spending their time prioritizing seeing the patients who are able to pay privately, it just means the rest of us have to wait longer. Um, doctors running these clinics make the argument that, listen, we're sort of limited in what we can do in the public system by hours, by, you know, caps on patients, all the rest. Of the, I, I read uh, a, a story this weekend from a doctor in Quebec saying I can do two, three, even four times the number of procedures in my private clinic than I could in the public system. So is there an argument to be made there that maybe, okay, adopt what they're doing there? I mean, is, is there an argument to say more is being done in the private clinic? We're doing something wrong with the public system. The tricky part is that in a lot of these private clinics, specifically the private for-profit standalone ones that are tailored around one specific surgery, is that they are more efficient. But that can likely be because they are focusing on only one procedure and become really expert and really efficient at that. We also see what we call cream skimming, where if I have an outpatient private day surgery clinic, I'm likely going to be seeing the healthiest patients with the fewest complications who are likely going to be easier to perform those procedures on. So there's no real reason why private is automatically more efficient than the public system. That being said, there's a lot of inefficiencies in our public system. And I think tackling some of those inefficiencies is actually a better way to really decrease their wait list rather than opening up parallel private pathways. For example, some hospitals have quotas on the number of procedures they can do because they have one global budget. And if they exceed those number of procedures because they're efficient, they might not actually be paid to do those procedures. So there's almost a disincentive for efficiency sometimes. Yeah, which is crazy. If you're talking about tackling the waiting list, that that's one way to do it. So when we talk about this and saying, you know, obviously the downside, we lose doctors. I mean, and that you're right. We've got a finite pool and we know that pool is not big enough to meet the demands of the country right now. We hear that in every province. So if we have doctors being siphoned away from our public system because of these private clinics, obviously you can see the downside. So how do we fix it? You mentioned, you know, you, there's some things that we can do. Like what? Like if, 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 if you were given the chance to try and get in there and fix our healthcare system, what would you do? Yeah, I think one big part is funding it appropriately. When we look at other countries that tend to perform better than Canada in terms of access to healthcare, a lot of them spend a higher proportion of their healthcare dollars in the public system. Public systems actually do tend to be more financially in more financially efficient there tends to be less overhead and less administrative costs so you get more bang for your buck when you invest in the public system and canada really underperforms compared to our other international neighbors 
Other things we can do is really increase access to primary care. So many Canadians are without a family doctor. So a lot of the time we're struggling to even find a family doctor to be referred to the surgeon, never mind the wait time for the surgery itself. So we need to really invest in primary care teams, allow family doctors to work in a multidisciplinary setting where they can have social workers and psychologists who can take on a lot of the issues that patients come in with so that the doctors can and really invest their time and skills towards problems that truly need to be seen by physicians. We also can look at our referral pathways. Right now, primary care providers often refer patients to one surgery or one centre without knowing the wait list. If we have more regionalized models where I would refer to a group of surgeons in an area, the patient can be seen by the first available surgeon. And this has actually been proven in multiple research studies to significantly reduce wait times. Interesting. So are you talking like within, let's say Edmonton, or do you mean maybe maybe you're gonna be referred to a, a surgeon somewhere else in Alberta or is it still local? Yeah, good question. There's various models and they can have different um, degrees of geography. Of course, in Canada, we're a very vast country. So I can imagine it would be reasonable maybe going from Red Deer to Edmonton for surgery, but maybe not all the way up north or 10 hours away. So I think looking at at least regional models, at least within central metropolitan areas, is one way we can achieve this. And the interesting thing is we have a lot of this already. Um, but it's not scaled up and it's not everywhere across the country. We have a lot of these small innovations happening, but because we have a different health system for each province and territory, oftentimes these innovations don't cross provincial territorial boundaries. So we need to be better at actually communicating and implementing what works. Yeah, get rid of those barriers, no question. Uh, well, speaking of barriers, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I think it's an issue right across the country, it certainly is here in the province of Alberta, but we did a story last week where I think 6 million Canadians don't have a family doctor, and you mentioned it, you touched on it, but I think it's so important because that sort of typically should be our first interaction with the healthcare system, and then we go on from there, but a lot of people don't have that gateway at this point. Like I say, 6 million Canadians without a family doc. How do we fix that problem? Because I think that answers a lot of the other questions that come later. Yeah, my colleagues who are family physicians tell me that they really want to work in multidisciplinary teams. Right now, family medicine is almost set up like a small business model where you have to make enough money in order to pay your staff and cover overhead. I think it's no surprise to anyone that there's rising inflation. It's becoming very difficult for family doctors to run those businesses. And frankly, a lot of us want to be in the business of medicine and delivering healthcare and not trying to run a small business model. So investing in primary care teams, which can have more salaried models and also involve other healthcare professionals is a way to really attract more physicians into family medicine and to retain them. We really don't fund family medicine and support it adequately right now. And there's a lot of burnout in the profession, which is such a shame because family doctors do so much for the healthcare system. Yeah, they're so important. I mean, they're the foundation of the system, really. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Doctor, thank you so much for your time today. I do appreciate you being here today.